KRCL, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives, weeknights at 6. And tonight, uh, we're going to talk about Dragapella Beauty Shop Quartet and put them in that group, too. I'm Laura Jones. We're going to pass the mic to Flourish Bakery, a nonprofit that serves up personal and community transformation one pie at a time. They're bringing the Kinsey Six to town this Friday. They want you to drag yourself to the temple. No, not that temple. Another one. We're going to find out all about it and how you can help out this nonprofit that I found out today um, has some survival issues. So we're going to talk about all the good work they do and how you can get involved. Also on the show, some tips to keep you safe in the great outdoors. The Utah Department of Wildlife Resources wants you to keep an eye out for cougars and Faith Heaton Jolly of Division of Wildlife Resources. will join me to talk about that as well as avian influenza in wild birds. Kind of important given that the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival starts tomorrow and I know a lot of you will be out looking for birds later in the hour community co-host nick burns is going to dip into the fire season and precautions we can all take with a guest from the utah department of natural resources and then he'll also cover environmental education with the author of the a's and b's of our inland sea let's start with rallies and rallies and resources it's a list of events and things happening in our community that we want you to know about curated by the radioactive team you go to krcl.org, hit Community Affairs, you'll find the Rallies and Resources tab. At the top, I've been compiling all the festivals coming up. Uh, starting with our own pickup party, I'm going to say that's a festival. Tomorrow, 4 to 7, here at the station. But also starting tomorrow, acoustic music strolls along the Jordan River Parkway. They're running from 6 to 8 p.m. at the International Peace Gardens in Jordan Park about 10th South and 9th West in Salt Lake City. You'll find acoustic bands along the parkway. A Buskerfest uh, preview is helping to put that all together, courtesy of the Salt Lake City Arts Council. And then also on, let's see, Friday and Saturday, Living Heritage Festival up in Ogden, the Kilby Block Party 3 at Library Square. Also this weekend, Utah Fungi Festival and Utah Can, the cannabis conference that City Weekly is putting on. You can find details about that and so much more, including the Utah Fungi Festival, like I just said. I want to emphasize that because there is some forays that the Utah Mushroom Society is running on Sunday that you're going to want to take your kids, your friends, your family to. Check that out, krcl.org. And now special guests to help us in rallies and resources. We have Reverend Amy Altizer from Flourish Bakery. Hi, how you doing? Great, Laura. How are you? It's been a while since it we've has. crossed paths. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. And you brought with you Ed Turner from your board. Hey, Ed. How are you doing? Good. You're going to explain what drag yourself to the temple is all about, right? Sure. I'll give it a shot. Okay. And then we also have with us a soon-to-be Flourish Bakery graduate. We have Rachel Alvaye. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for coming in to share your story. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's start at the top. I want to get the details out about the event on Friday with the Kinsey Six. Drag yourself to the temple, the Masonic Temple. Right, Ed? That's, that's right. Make sure you check your temples before you go. <laughs> Google Maps can help you sort that it, out. It can. It can. So again, uh, this is a fundraiser with uh, Dragapella. It's a beauty shop quartet of a unique variety. And your friends. And yes, I've been following them for years. Um, and when I was thinking about an event for the spring for Flourish, uh, they came to mind. 
and the Masonic Temple is a great space. Um, not many people are lucky enough to get in to check it out. So I thought, you know, let's bring the Kinsey Six out. Let's do it at the Masonic Temple. Let's do it on Friday the 13th. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? And of course, if you're if you haven't been there before, one thing I want you to check out besides the Kinsey Six is the the ceiling above you in the is it the auditorium, mm -hmm. the rotunda yes. there. It mimics the night sky. It's beautiful. And we have uh, our lighting crew is going to play with that ceiling. So if you're lucky enough to get a ticket, um, you'll during the performance we'll have a little night show for you during the during the concert. So the Kinsey Six coming to town and support of Flourish Bakery. Tickets are still available, but at the door, I understand. At the door, we've closed out online. Um, we're we're doing a final count so we can maximize um, yeah. our guests there. And you know, when we started this, uh, recovery is serious business and it's hard work. But fun is important. Fun's important for all of us. Finding it, joy. Finding joy and fun is critical, um, a critical piece in recovery. And so when I started planning this last year, it was to have fun. And, to, and then the timing worked out that it was going to be um, around our fifth anniversary. So that seemed um, like a perfect, um, a perfect thing to do. Um, but now life, is, life has happened um, yeah. for Flourish. And so um, we're, we're asking now to help sustain us for the next five years so five years of helping people rebuild their lives yeah. Reverend Amy yes and um, I understand from an email I got this morning as Ed alluded to that some you know existence is on the line for flourish what is the state of flourish bakery which is a nonprofit yeah. and a social good business as well yeah so we had um and a, a blessed abundance of growth during the COVID time period. I know a lot of businesses closed at that time. A lot of nonprofits didn't make it, but the demand for our services has actually grown. We've seen across the nation statistics a 30% increase of substance use and overdose. And that's very serious. Coming out of COVID, there's a lot of tragedy and mental health that really needs some support. Um, and at the same time, as the world rebalances, We've all been feeling it, I mm. think, these past couple of months. Yeah. And that has resulted in a lot of shifts, and there were shifts in people's giving. And our first shift brought us up with a loss of $220,000 oh uh, within a week, uh, very unexpectedly, not from any particular cause. Just there's a change in people's capacities um, and focuses in giving. And I understand that during this time, and yet we need it. <laughs> That's right. We need it more than ever. Right as COVID started, I believe, you, you found that building out in Midvale. Yes. And were able to move your operation out there, mm -hmm. having started uh, under the umbrella of Salt Lake Community College. Yeah. That, that pushed you to grow, and you yes. had a, a spot where you could open up. Yeah. Um, and the truck that you have, you could mm -hmm. still operate during COVID. But this huge, that's... That's yeah. usually fatal to a nonprofit to lose that much money. It is. And I know that we're not the only nonprofit suffering at this time. I've talked to other directors. They are in similar circumstances. We had to make some decisions um, with our team. We are an open, honest, transparent group of people. I mean, those are definitely principles of recovery. That's how we practice life in our community. And um, we, we also practice vulnerability. 
Yeah. Because that is actually the superpower. Usually a, an executive director would go to their board and let's keep this quiet, see if we can find, mm-hmm. you know, someone who can come in for us. But you're actually turning mm-hmm. to the community. Yes. Which is in part what you help folks do in yes. your program. And we keep saying the word recovery. So for folks that aren't familiar with how Flourish Bakery works, mm-hmm. can you explain it a little bit? And then we're going to talk to Rachel about how it works in real life. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so Flourish was founded five years ago on the premise that people need a bridge. Uh, If you're coming out of residential treatment or incarceration, which is where our interns come from, that there's a bridge needed from those intense institutional environments back into the rest of life where we can practice the skills of recovery and whole life wellness in a community that supports having boundaries (laughs) and saying saying no to... um, just in, in, in an environment of support mm-hmm. to things that actually cause all of us great stress, overworking, anxiety about life circumstances. Um, and so those are, that's the environment that we've built. We've built an environment that supports people as they cross the bridge into stabilizing and establishing a healthy life outside of um, substance use. So you bring folks in and teach them a skill, and in this case, it's baking. So the tasty fruits I get to sample, which I just had some (laughs) lemon bars. Um, Folks, check tonight's show notes for a link. But what's the website so folks can check it out right now? Flourish, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H, S-L-C, like Salt Lake City, dot org. And so folks come into your program as interns. That's right. But they're paid. That's right. And that's a very different approach. We said people need to be paid um, for worth of their, 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 to show value in who they are as a person. And because also, if you're going to develop a whole healthy life outside of institutional environment, you have to be able to practice the skills of whole healthy life. That's paying rent, buying a car, going to the grocery store, paying your taxes, paying your child support. Cooking good food for yourself. Yes. All the things that, well, you and I might take for granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you brought one of your interns with you who's about to graduate. Hi, Rachel. Yeah. Rachel Alvaye, welcome to Radioactive. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a bit about your story, because I've met a few of uh, other graduates from the program, and I'm always curious about where they come from and where they're going. Tell us a bit about yourself. A little bit about myself. Um, I started my career in substance use when I was 12 years old. I went to rehab for the first time at 13. So I have been struggling with substance use um, disorder for 27 years. I'll be 40 in a couple of weeks. And um, I finally decided to do something about it. I went to rehab at the House of Hope in Provo. I was there for 120 days. Another nonprofit doing great work. Yes, yes, absolutely. It was an amazing program. And while I was there, I saw a newspaper article about this wonderful place called Flourish Bakery because I found my love for cooking again while I was in rehab. And I just thought, you know, that's for me. And I gave it a chance. I went online and I filled out the intern application and got the phone back and felt that I'd won the lottery and went in and interviewed when I had left rehab. And now I'm here. Well, I want to know a bit about Chef 
of the day because okay. this is part of the program. To graduate, you got to come up with some of your own recipes and menus. So what did you do? Um, I chose two of my heritages. I kind of split it in half. Um, I did some pastelitos, um, a coquito cake. Um, that's from the Puerto Rican side. Um, I did some Irish soda bread. It was a Guinness Irish soda bread. And... Um, Gosh, I can't remember what else I did. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. I yeah. get the uh, Irish soda bread. That's the Riley side of me. Yeah. Tell me about the, the Puerto Rican dishes and what they were. The pastelitos, what are those? Um, it's a pastry. It has guava, guava paste in it with a Amy, sweetened. you didn't call me. You didn't call me. <laughs> with a sweetened uh, cream cheese filling and um, puff pastry. And then the other one? Um, the coquito cake. Um, so coquito is a traditional almost kind of like eggnog drink usually found um, during like holiday Christmas time. And I found a recipe to make it a cake. Oh, wow. So there's coconut, um, nutmeg, lots of spices, really rich. That sounds awesome. How'd it go over, Reverend Amy? She passed. She passed. Absolutely. <laughs> flying colors. So what would it mean to you or perhaps the you of a couple of years ago if this program wasn't around? Wow. Okay, so I might get emotional here. Um, without Flourish Bakery, I honestly can't say where I would be as the woman that presents herself today. Um, not only did I learn a life skill um, that I can take anywhere with me, I learned that it was okay not to be okay. It gave me a space to be able to... Excuse me to come into work and deal with hard things and to be met with love and compassion and grace and to be accepted no matter where I was at. Um, I learned how to voice my opinions appropriately, to emotionally regulate, um, to have hard conversations, to set boundaries with people, um, how to pay my bills, how to work on my credit, how to live healthy with a gym environment and to cook healthy for myself and for others. Um, and there was a lot of spiritual healing that happens there. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that's part of the recovery process to be able to talk about it, but um, I'm very privileged to, that you would come and share that with us and our listeners. Thank you. And congratulations on such a huge achievement. Uh, addiction is a tough road and look at all you've done yes thank you i have 651 days today and i spent most of that time with flourish bakery that's wonderful thank you and amy this is what's at stake yeah. for flourish that's um right. you've got five years behind you you want another five to fifty more yes. what is it the community can do for you well we're at a critical juncture right now we really need people in the community to join us um of course, at the concert on Friday night, because that's just going to be so much fun. And I'm not even going to spoil all the surprises for you. <laughs> um, but you're going to have a great time. So I suggest getting some tickets at the door. But also, if you can't make it on Friday night, uh, a donation to our organization to help us continue our work is vital. It's a very, very critical juncture in our organization's existence. It's become more expensive as we all know, just to live, but it's become a lot more expensive to offer life-sustaining opportunities. Hmm. And we don't want to see those go away. What's the website one more time? Uh, 
It's Flourish, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H, S-L-C, like Salt Lake City, dot org. And Ed, tickets available at the door Friday night. Where's the Masonic Temple? The Masonic Temple is at 650 East South Temple. Uh, Tickets will be $50 at the door. And remember, this is for mature audiences. For mature audiences. But Flourish Bakeries, goodies are for all. Yes. And also your programs. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming in. Rachel, Ed, and Reverend Amy, I appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. Here's a little Ronnie Baker Brooks inspired by Brian Kelm, Red, White, and Blues. This is Be a Good Man on KRCL 90.9. Volunteers are needed for this year's Living Traditions Festival, May 20th through 22nd at Library Square in Salt Lake City. Help with artists, beverage sales, bocce ball, greeters, kids area, production, school day, and more. For details, email volunteer at saltlakearts.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow. Spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Nick Burns still to come, as well as Democracy Now! at 7. Root Awakening with Liz Schulte, two hours of Punk and Ska at 8. Followed by Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D, Utah's only heavy metal radio show. And John Florence starting your brand new day at 6 a.m. tomorrow. The last two weeks of all of our shows available at our website, krcl.org. You can listen on demand under the Programs tab. And now a quick reminder that tomorrow, 4 to 7 p.m., you can come on down to KRCL for our pickup party. For those of you that donated during Spring Radiothon, help us save on postage. Come on by, get your thank you gifts, say hello, maybe record a station ID for Radioactive. More details, of course, on the website that you all helped pay for, krcl.org. And now some tips for everybody as we head out into the desert or the mountains with all this lovely warm weather. Some things to consider to keep you safe and healthy. Here's my conversation with Faith Heaton-Jolly of the Utah Department of Wildlife Resources. A couple of press releases that I got from you really struck me as something people need to know about, and that's mountain lions and avian influenza. So what's going on with mountain lions first, Faith? Yeah, so we're just, it's kind of that time of year, like you said, people are getting out and about, they're hiking, they're camping, and um so we're just wanting to let people know, kind of give that that reminder that, you know, we do have a couple of predator species here in Utah, one of which is cougars. Um, and while it's pretty rare actually to see cougars and even rarer to actually be attacked by a cougar, we just wanted to kind of give some safety information if people do happen to encounter a cougar. What are the things to be aware of and what are some tips to keep folks safe? Yeah, so if somebody does um, happen to encounter a cougar in the unlikely event, you know, if they're out hiking or whatever, um, there are some basic tips that we recommend. So one is just never run from a cougar. Um, That can sometimes trigger their instinct to chase. So, you know, we want you to maintain eye contact and basically just kind of back away slowly um, while kind of making yourself large. So lift your arms up, you know, make noise, talk loud, um, but just stay calm and just kind of slowly back away. Um, and typically they're, like I said, they're, 
they're usually not going to be aggressive to you. They're going to leave if you're leaving and you're not posing kind of a threat if they have a maybe a deer kill nearby or kittens nearby or something like that. Um, so those are kind of our, our main recommendations if you do happen to encounter one. So there's a couple of tips too that can help prevent conflicts with cougars. Um, and one is really just don't hike or jog by yourself if at all possible. Take a buddy, you know, make noise as you're moving through. And traditionally, if you're if you're loud, you know, you're gonna scare them away. Um, they, they tend to be pretty elusive. Deer are their primary prey source, so they're not really, they're not going after people. Um, so yeah, and just kind of maintaining that awareness that if you are in the foothills, there is a chance that there could be cougars in the area, especially if you see deer. Um, so yeah, just kind of staying in groups, staying loud, those are some good things that will help deter. A lot of folks have moved or built in that uh, urban wildland interface and they get deer in their yards. Well, if you get deer, you may also get cougars. So what are some tips around the house and if you have small kids and pets? Yep, exactly. So like you said, basically anywhere you're seeing deer regularly, there's a good chance you're going to have cougars since they are that primary prey source. So yeah, if you do have kids or small pets, we do recommend, especially if you live in those foothill areas, um, just don't keep your, let your kids be alone outside at dusk and dawn. Same with small pets. That's kind of a time that cougars are out hunting. Um, they're a little more active in those in those kind of dusk dawn time frames. So just yeah, keep your pets, keep your kids inside at night and early morning type of thing, um, just to prevent any of those kind of encounters. I had a family relative, and maybe some folks listening saw this on the news, but he lived up in the still lives up in the Mount Olympus area and had a cougar come through his glass. So motion sensor lights to scare them away might be a good idea. Yes, that is something we recommend too. Yeah. And, and kind of a similar thing, make your area uninviting. So, you know, trim your vegetation. So there's not like good hiding spots, right. For wildlife, um, remove wood piles. That could be an, an area that they might, you know, stay and use for shelter type of thing. So, yeah. And, and it is, like I said, it's not uncommon for them to come through our areas. It's more rare for you to see them. Um, but with a lot of people getting more, you know, trail door cameras, things like that, um, they're just catching a lot more of these sightings and realizing that they are coming through these areas. Great. So that is the details on keeping safe in and around land where cougars might be. Let's talk about avian flu and wild birds. I know people go hiking and you see a baby bird and you want to pick it up, but actually that's not the first response you should have, especially with confirmed cases of avian flu in, in a wild bird, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, we always recommend don't touch wildlife, no matter how cute or small they may look, how cuddly. So that's definitely always give them their space for a lot of reasons, safety being one of them, but especially with some of these diseases right now that have been confirmed. Um, it's just a good idea not to not to touch them. And with the current cases in Utah, um, it was confirmed recently in a great horned owl. Um, and with the avian flu, so it's really susceptible for some of our domestic birds like ducks and turkeys and chickens, things like that. That was the first confirmed cases. But in wild birds, um, it's more susceptible in some of our, our raptors. So a great horned owl, like I said, was kind of the first confirmation that we've had. Um, but yeah, scavengers, um, waterfowl, those types of birds are, are going to be a little more susceptible for this. So we've got a lot of questions from people as far as 
Do I need to take down bird feeders? Is that kind of a risk factor? And songbirds actually are not typically affected by avian flu. So you should not have to remove your bird feeders unless you have maybe backyard chickens or things like that that are more susceptible just to kind of decrease that risk. And with folks getting out this week and weekend due to the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival, something to be mindful of. Use your binoculars, use your cameras, don't touch. Yes, exactly. And we are asking people um, kind of just as we're monitoring for the disease in some of our wild populations, if you do happen to see a, a group of birds, five or more um, birds, or just a, even a single you know, raptor scavenger type bird that's dead, um, we do ask people to report that to the nearest DWR office, but do not touch it. We are really emphasizing that just for your own safety. There has been a confirmed case of avian flu in a person already with this latest outbreak. So while the risk is low, we just, for your own safety, please don't touch any dead birds you see. Just call them and report it and we'll respond. What's the website for your division? Yes. So you can go to wildlife.utah.gov and that will have all of our contract information for all the different offices across the state. Thank you, Faith. And check tonight's show notes for a link to wildlife.utah.gov. And you can find all of the tips that the DWR offers you to keep you safe and healthy as you head out into the desert or the mountains in all this lovely weather. And now community co-host Nick Burns with a couple of conversations that have to do with the environment. First up, fire season and then Great Salt Lake. Here's Nick. I am Nick Burns, and this is Radioactive. We are, of course, your weekday local show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives everywhere. It's as simple as that. Tonight on the show, on the show, want to talk about fire and want to talk about fire danger. Of course, there's danger from air pollution. There's danger from environmental degradation. Uh, of course, burned down homes and destroyed businesses. But it's hard to talk about fire season anymore because it's year round. That's one of the things I want to talk about on the show tonight. Also on the show, there's a new book out. I don't often read children's, I don't often read rather children's literature being somewhat older myself, but there is a new book out, a new children's book, The A's and B's of Our Inland Sea. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a environmental activism kids ABC's book all about the Great Salt Lake. I want to talk with author Nicole Anderson about her new children's book. Right now, though, joining us on Radioactive, Carl Hunt. Hi. How's it going? Fine. How are you? Thank you for this. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm doing great. Good. So you are with the Utah Department of Natural Resources. So thank you. Um, Governor Cox just came out with a, with a missive, a proclamation, a letter about working with the feds on fire danger. But I want to jump in here with this notion of fire season. It sounds so benign. I mean, I grew up with Smokey the Bear and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but fire season, uh, but the risk is no longer a season. It's all the time, all year, pretty much everywhere in the West. And it might seem obvious, but what's going on? Uh, that's very true. Um, you know, fire season, we would always look at that as being in the summer months. Um, but like you said, it's it seems to have gotten longer and we're getting away from that terminology of fire season talking about the fire year because there is that danger all year round uh, there's the potential for a wildfire to start um, regardless if you're camping you're doing an agriculture debris burn uh, trying to do some spring cleaning in your yard if the conditions aren't right you could potentially spark a wildfire and that danger is something that's prevalent all year long right now so 
I mean, it's easy to talk about climate change. It's easy to talk about all the things we could do differently. But right now, here we are. It's a year-round fire danger. One of the biggest fires, of course, is raging in New Mexico now. Last summer, it was south, south part of Oregon. Year before that, California. It's just ongoing. And I think that what sometimes people forget is that this is city mouse and country mouse both, right? We're all in danger. It isn't just something out there in the woods. So for folks in the city, talk a little bit about what's going on beyond just the air pollution, because I think there's more dangers out there than just the air. You are correct. It is city folk, it is country folk. It's, it's everyone's responsibility. Um, and we, we've launched this campaign called Fire Sense, which is, um, in year two, and it's to raise awareness that we need to use that common sense that we have to uh, prevent these, these wildfires. And so some of the best things we can do is, um, especially for city folk, if they are getting out and recreating in the outdoors, make sure your equipment's maintained. Don't park your hot vehicles on dry grass that can ignite a wildfire. Uh, your trailer chains. A lot of people in this area, they, they have trailers. They like to haul, you know, toys up in the mountains to play with. Make sure those chains are pulled up um, and not dragging on the road because those will create sparks and that will start wildfires. Um, a lot of people like to go target shooting here in this state. Don't shoot toward dry grass and don't shoot into anything that's going to create a spark like rocks um, or metal. Um, and then fireworks. Make sure that oh. you're only launching those fireworks and lighting them off during the times that are legally allowed around the 4th of July holiday and the 24th of July holiday. And, and Carl, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but, but in Utah, we've had a lot of discussion over all these exact things that you just mentioned. They're, they're certainly common sense, right? Mm -hmm. The Parley's fire was somebody's muffler falling off their car, sparking on the ground. Um, target shooting, that would seem obvious, I would think, but yet we're in a place where sometimes we need laws, it seems like. Are you confident the state can step up if the citizens don't? I'm actually confident that the citizens are aware okay. of the fire danger, and that's one thing that we've been doing with this Fire Sense campaign is raising that awareness, and that by raising that awareness, they'll see that we've got these great resources, this natural beauty around us, and that they'll take the required steps to preserve those because they want to enjoy them and leave them for the next person who wants to enjoy them as well. So you're describing this more as just we need an effective public relations, strategic communications outreach. Um, so good. I like that. I, I hope that can work if everyone joins together. You know, it's it's fire danger. It's those muscles and those little creatures stuck on your boat. And it's a thousand other things to keep the world um, as well as we can. One other thing I want to ask about um, is this notion of shared stewardship. Governor Cox, of course, recently in this statement I mentioned, talks about working with the feds on a shared stewardship. Um, is this something that's new? I thought states always worked with the feds on fire mitigation and fire work. Uh, it's it's relatively a new, new idea to uh, combine our resources to target those areas that uh, are critical for water resources um, and that can be damaged by wildfire. So we are uh, in that agreement, that shared stewardship agreement, this is uh, 
or one of many states that have an agreement with the feds. Uh, but that the whole point is to identify areas that need to be treated and then combining those resources to achieve that goal. So we might have been doing this all along, but ideally we'll just do it better. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Oh, no, I mean, I'm happy to hear of this. It's very expensive to fight fires. Uh, firefighters deserve the pay raises that everyone is trying to give them. Firefighting is understaffed. Many of these fires burn so hot you couldn't even fly an airplane with retardant if you had one, um, and on and on and on. I wonder in your work, what about drought? I mean, we, we have this drought emergency. We're talking about a 1200 year uh, cycle. This is the worst ever in 1200 years. I guess I should say it that way. Um, so yeah, chains on your trailer, caution with target shooting, certainly the fireworks issue, but it seems like even watering lawns or irrigating one's fields comes into play. I mean, this is just huge to keep people safe. It does. Um, and we've, we've got to do our part to, you know, conserve water. We are in a drought. Uh, it's been eight of the last 10 years that we have seen drought conditions. So it is not something that just popped up overnight. This is an ongoing issue. Um, and it really translates into increased fire danger and the ability for firefighters to fight fires. You know, if yeah. our reservoirs are low, they have nowhere to pull water from to fight those fires. And so we as citizens of Utah should be doing an, a better job of conserving uh, during these drought conditions to help with other aspects of it. Um, like, like I'm talking here about fighting those wildfires and that fire danger. Um, and so anything we can do to conserve water is, is great. Yeah, good point. I think that goes without saying, but I think it's worth mentioning again and again and again. Um, with this humongous drought, could we look at a time ahead, and this is kind of depressing, but I feel like it needs to be asked. Could we look at a time ahead where there's simply less fuel? There is that possibility. It is projected um, through the Great Basin Coordination Center. They have a team of meteorologists that project what the fire season is going to look like. They are projecting that it's going to be drier in June and July of this year um, with more fire risk at higher elevations due to the fuels up there. The drought conditions will limit some of the grass growth at the lower elevations, which limits the fuel but that also puts us at high fire danger at our higher elevations as well. Yeah, so there might be less fuel, but it's more likely to go. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you can't win for losing. As, as someone who used to live in California, I mean, I just was paranoid about even my backyard because two or three blocks away was just scrub. Um, are you, and I don't, I, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, are you optimistic that with the fire season ahead, should there be a big, conflagration in Utah, we'll be able to deal with it? I am. I believe that we've got the resources with our interagency partners that if something does happen where we've got a big fire, we will be able to handle it. We've got um, some really good trained wildland firefighters and fire management officials that um, are very skilled at what they do. Um, and like right now, we have sent a uh, the Lone Peak hotshots. They are down helping fight the New Mexico fire right now, and they'll be back um, with us here soon. And so that experience, along with the experience of some of our seasoned uh, professionals, 
will do a lot to help us fight a big fire if it comes to Utah. I mean, we've certainly seen Calif we've certainly seen in the California fires that Utah firefighters have gone to help, and vice versa. Folks from here down in New Mexico, it just seems like structurally we need to devote more and more resources to this. That we need more firefighters, we need more planes. Um, it seems like an unending battle that's only getting bigger. Before we could feel like it's a war that's won, and I apologize for the military comparison. Uh, yes, it, it is a big um, a big issue, and a lot of resources go into um, fighting a fire. And if we have multiple fires in multiple locations, it stretches those resources really thin. And so by being conscious of what we're doing out in the outdoors and limiting those human-caused wildfires, um, we can keep those resources where they need to be to fight those ones that do pop up. You know, nationally, it's something like nine out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. Uh, here in the state of Utah, we do a lot better job. It's been somewhere at about six out of 10. So we do a, we do a good job of limiting those here in the state, but nationally, that's a, that's a high number. And if we can get more people to limit those human-caused wildfires, it'll help keep resources where they need to be and not being sent out of state to assist. I really like hearing that, that we're not 50th in the nation on human-caused fire. That's encouraging. And it seemed like over the last couple of years, we did see improvement with people being smarter about target shooting, certainly people being smarter about fireworks. Again, chains on trailers, that should be obvious, but sometimes occasionally a chain does fall off and so on with those safety chains. Um, you mentioned all these things that people can do. Is there a website or a place everyone could go just to keep this in mind or print it out and put it on the fridge? Yes, uh, utahfiresense.org um, is kind of the website for this whole campaign. And there's a lot of information on that that they can go and uh, see what they can do um, to help prevent these human caused wildfires. Um, we've got some PSA ads that are viewable um, on there as well, message from uh, Governor Cox um, to just really get that information out there to everybody that you know wildfire danger is an issue in this state and we need to do our part to limit that risk. I know with the, the Parley's fire last summer, I had my 30 minute go box packed by my door. It's not very much fun to live near. It's fun to live near a woods, but it's not very much fun when it's on fire. Let's put it that way. For this website that you just listed, can folks also go there if there is a danger and, and uh, find out what's going on in their immediate neighborhood? Is that the right place to go for, for risk assessment if there's a nearby fire? So we have another website that they can go to. There is a link on utahfiresense.org uh, okay. that will take them there, and it's utahfireinfo.gov. And that one is where we will post you know, fire restrictions things that come out and say, hey, this is a very high area that we want to, you know, we got to put some restrictions in place. They'll be able to see up-to-date information on that. And if there is an incident, that will be updated with information um, regarding the incidences within the state um, that they can gather information on those fires. Carl Hunt, thank you very much. And we'll get those websites in our show notes for folks to have a look and just be prepared because that seems like a huge part of it. Just some common sense, um, some working together, and of course, being careful with water because that would be the ultimate, 
where you know the airplanes can't even get any water to go dump on the fire. So that's just mind-boggling. Carl Hunt with the Utah Department of Natural Resources. Thank you for taking time to talk with us. Again, this is information we might need to come back to again and again over the weeks ahead. So thank you for taking time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. You, my pleasure, our pleasure here at Radioactive. And again, May is Wildfire Prevention Month. We'll get a head start on that here with all this information. And again, those websites we will put into the show notes. Let's change directions here. We were talking about water on the show. We're talking about having enough water in case there's a fire, but we also have this issue with just plain not enough water in the Great Salt Lake. So our next conversation is aired through the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, which is a solutions journalism initiative that partners news, education, and media organizations, including all of us here at KRCL, to help inform people about the plight of the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. You can read all of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative stories at greatsaltlakenews.org. So next on the show, Nicole Anderson, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And full disclosure for everyone, I first met you, gosh, many, many years ago during a televised national discussion about community colleges. This was back when then-candidate Obama was running for president. Salt Lake Community College was part of a national broadcast discussing issues related to community colleges. You were a student. I had the pleasure of interviewing you. Since then, you've worked your way up in education all the way through grad school. And now, congratulations, you're back at Salt Lake Community College as a faculty member in the communication department. Yes, yes, it's been a long time. It's been a fun journey. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for that. I'm glad you see it as fun. I appreciate that. So now I want to talk about a kid's book. I mean, you teach communication classes for us at all different levels. But now you have this kid's book, the A's and B's of our Inland Sea. So first kid's book, I think, for you, first children's book. It is. It's my first children's book. And uh, I used to be more geared towards the high school and college kids. Um, But I think a lot of them are just young at heart still. So um, and and they're very interested in these things. So the little ones, um, the book's geared towards uh, kindergarten through third grade because mainly I thought most of the kids in Utah go out to Great Salt Lake on a field trip in fourth grade. And so why not get them a little earlier? So, okay, good. That was one of my questions. So beginning readers, developing readers, fairly young children. Um, And I noticed that in your book, a lot of the arc has the really large eyes that are typical of little kids' books because most young kids are really hooked with eyes. Yeah. so tell me about collaborating with the artist, Joanna Bossert. So Johanna and I, we met through um, the Great Salt Lake Institute with Dr. Bonnie Baxter and Jamie Butler over there. And she had done some work on their uh, science book that, about Great Salt Lake just previously. And they were like, oh, talk to Johanna, she'll be great. And so it was really fun because I would have these crazy ideas and I'd draw these chicken scratch and, um, You've seen my horse art, so you know that that's not. 
So Johanna would translate that into these wonderful things, but it was her idea to put these big eyeballs on it. And it really brings these animals to life and allows the kids to really zoom in and, and they're like, oh, look at that guy, look at this girl or whatever. And so hopefully they see themselves kind of through some of these images in places that they could go. Well, I mean, the, the artwork is very interesting. You've got kids splashing in the lake, you've got bison, you've got airboats and on and on and on, lots of birds, lots of animals, of course. Yeah. So I, I guess that would lead me to what made you get into or consider this for your first children's book project? What's the history? You know, years ago, I went out to Great Salt Lake and um, I was up north kind of by Spiral Jetty and I just had one of those moments that it was just so peaceful and beautiful and there were people exploring and splashing and wandering around in the water up to their knees and uh, back when the jetty was covered in water. And over the years, I had an opportunity to go out airboating and I was able to see the lake in a different way than most people across the Wasatch Front see it. Um, it's it's beautiful, it doesn't stink, it smells like the ocean. Um, and, and so really um, through airboating and sailing and uh, really just remembering how much fun the lake can be. And I think it's important to remember that. And, and hopefully that's, that's something that kids, kids will be able to learn and grasp that the lake is really a fun place and that parents won't just say, oh, it stinks because yeah, it does, but it means it's alive. It's full of, full of stuff, full of fun stuff. You raised a really good point there and lucky you to get to go out in an airboat. You know, I was fortunate to be part of, um, of KRCL back in the day, we used to do night sunset cruises out on the lake. And once you get out, you know, a hundred yards from shore, it is amazing. It's like yeah. being on a mere smooth ocean as the yeah. sun goes yeah. down. Um, pretty fantastic, which, which leads me to, to quote some of your book. V is for voices that must speak out as one. So I'm seeing a little, you know, environmental advocacy here in your book. <laughs> I just can't help myself with that. <laughs> uh, I, you know, if we don't protect Great Salt Lake and, and get the water back into this lake, it is going to be a devastating situation for the state of Utah and for other, other areas, um, the, the dust and, you know, it, it just the dust that will come up from the wind and things are just, it's not, it's not good. It's not healthy for us. Um, you know, I think Dr. Minch over at Utah Physicians for Healthy Environment has been talking about this for years and years and years. And I think the average family is just like, they're trying to put food on the table, put their kids in bed by eight, get them up for school. They're not thinking about these things that could potentially be really big problems. And so it's, uh, people should know. No, and, and again, it's it, it's all about being age appropriate, right? So, yes. you know, you've got kids with the microscopes, you've got the birds, um, you've got all this stuff going on in the book. And, and once I got done reading it, I was really pleasantly surprised that you've got this ending section with history and fun facts. So there's more there, possibly for readers who are a little bit older than just the ABC part. Yes. So I was really intrigued by the history. And again, the book pretty much starts with white settlers. You, you kind of begin from there and the railroad and on mm -hmm. with the lake. So in your research, putting this together, what did you learn? 
I, you know, I've studied Great Salt Lake for a lot of years. It's been kind of the passion project that I've had. Um, but I've learned, you know, so much that there were people here before the white settlers, uh, Danger Cave, for instance, and to, to go out there and to look at the tubers and the different layers of sediment. And you can still go on tours with Danger Cave if you go through Department of Natural Resources. They do that every year for Archaeology Day. Um, but I think it's important to remember, you know, the, the past because it, it, it leads, it's part of our future. We're, we're all together. You know, I learned that my grandmother used to come up, she, she lived in Ephraim, and so she would take the Bamberger Express up and ride the train and then go out to Saltaire to dance. And it's one of the world's only um, spring-loaded dance floors that's still in existence. So, I mean, kind of cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, Saltaire could be, could be something very different yes. than it is now. Um, it's had a journey of its own. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that could be your next book. Although I think the lake needs more help today than yes, Saltaire does. does today. But ahead, definitely does. You can think of that. What was it like for you? You mentioned earlier that that a lot of your writing has been aimed towards older kids. You know, teenage, college, traditional college age. So how was it for you to create something for young readers rather than the other writing you've done? You know, it it's really different. Definitely different. Um, rhyming is a little bit of a challenge for me and some of the letters because there some of the letters like x there's not a creature or an animal really that you know because i had lots of people involved for a long time asking you know hey what's a letter what's this letter and and so some of them we had to mix up and you know so like bison for instance you would think would be for b but we want brine shrimp to be there so then we moved bison to roundup for the roundup every year um, and some of them like brine shrimp are just really hard to rhyme. And so that's kind of what I went with. I said, B is for brine shrimp, which is really hard to rhyme. But if you look up close, you can see their little beady eyes. <laughs> so just kind of, you know, I kind of got to roll with it so that it's cute for the kids. And, um, you know, not all rhyming is actually grammatically correct either. So there's some challenges there. Well, it's, I'm trying to think of which letters, but there's actually spots in the book where you just write a letter out and say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of, no, I mean, it's it's kind of deconstructed. If, if you think of how, you know, kids today have seen so many stories and so many shows, it's hard to engage people when you've seen a thousand cop shows, for instance, what's another cop show, unless it has cool stylistics. But in, and so I don't want to get into postmodernism, but it seems like what one of the things you do in the book is you sort of just allow the book to deconstruct itself because you just write this is a letter and it's hard to find a rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of appreciated that. And I think I think most kids will, too. Well, I think it is, too, because I think, you know, at least at the college level, you know, kids graduate from high school at 18, they go on to college they feel like they're expected to know what the transition of their life is going to be. And the reality is, is that they don't. Um, I mean, I, I went back to school uh, at 36 and just literally checked off that list they give you on the first day. Um, and so I think these younger kids, you know, they have such a passion. I was invited to go to Washington Elementary to read to them. And 
these little kids, they were in kindergarten in Miss Lawrence's class and they greeted me with hearts and save the lake and I love you. And, um, you know, and now they think they're gonna be scientists. And I think, well, cool, cool, hopefully. <laughs> But you might change your mind 20 times and that's okay yeah I, I we only have a couple minutes with you nicole so thank you okay um, thank i want to end with you perhaps reading a favorite letter or two from the book but before i ask you to do that what's next what are you working on now you know um right now i am working on my next book it's uh it, it's a non-fiction kind of autobiography about me and my sister and oh, my stepsister um, kind of being thrown into a relationship and where that brings people. So it's different. I do have an idea for another children's book kicking around in my brain, but I feel like I need to keep getting this one out there in the world a little bit. So your next children's book, a little bit of an environmental bent perhaps again? Yeah, a little bit. There'll always be a little bit of that, I think. <laughs> Nicole Anderson, thank you. The book is The A's and B's of Our Inland Sea. Where can people find it? You can go to uh, ourinlandsea.com or you can also find it at several local bookshops here in town, uh, the Great Salt Lake Antelope, Antelope Island gift shop and Great Salt Lake Marina also have it as do Tracy Aviary and Ogden Nature Center. Wonderful. So let's go out with you reading a little bit of your favorite. Um, let's see here. I'm going to have to go with the letter E because I kind of made him be like my son a little bit. So E is for everything that makes this lake so dear, airboating, sailing, and duck hunters with long, funny beards. <laughs> that is the A's and B's of our Inland Sea. The author is Nicole Anderson, also faculty member in the communication department at Salt Lake Community College. Best luck with the book. Come back when you write another one. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Nick Burns talking with Nicole Anderson and Carl Hunt. Check tonight's show notes for links to Nicole's book, The A's and B's of Our Inland Sea, and also utahfiresense.org. Let's keep the wildfires to zero, if at all possible, folks. To close the show and honor our participation in the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative that partners news, education, and media organizations like KRCL to help keep you all informed about the plight of the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. Here's Band of Horses with their song, The Great Salt Lake. To read all of the collaborative stories, just visit greatsaltlakenews.org. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community with Radioactive on KRCL. Have a great night.
Great Salt Lake. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru.